right, cool. I'm stoked, man, because we're in this series called Rooted. And the basic thesis of this series is this, that all of our life, everything that we do, everything that we say, our actions, our attitudes, the fruit of our life, if you will, is rooted in our deeply held beliefs about who God is and what he's done for us and who we are as a result. And so if you look at your life and you say, man, there are some things I really wish I could change about my life. What we want to do is track backward into what beliefs are leading us to live that way. And so the last three weeks we spent talking about who God is. Good, what you call theology. God is Father. Remember, we talked about the Father heart of God, that His heart is for you. And we walked through the prodigal son's story. And two weeks ago, we talked about God as a triune God where each member of the Trinity revolves around the other and holds one another at the center of their being. And it's this community of outpouring love. And Jesus Christ came to serve us and invite us into that community of outpouring love and service. So we have the Father heart of God, we have the servant son, and then last week we had a guest speaker come and teach on the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is the creative impulse in creation that that empowers the mission of Jesus Christ, empowers the mission of his church. So as we start to see God as he truly is, if we can believe that, that will free us up to trust in what God has done for us. And that's what we're jumping into this week, what God has done Anybody know what the good news of what God has done for us is called? The gospel. Man, I'm in the right place today. Cool. Um, so today we're going to jump into that. And it's so important. Getting what the gospel is is so important because something is driving your life. You know how I know? You're here today. You're not still laying in bed. You could be, right? But you're not laying in bed. You're not a pile of jello. You, you came here for some reason today. Some motivation drove you. I don't know if it was the coffee. It may have been the coffee. It may be all the good-looking people here. It may be, you know, just this sense of duty. You're bound. You have to come. It may be fear. What if I don't come? What if I don't engage religiously? It may be the love of God. But whatever reason you're here, there's a motivation. There's something that drove you to be here today, right? In fact, there's something that drives every part of your life. Every word you say, everything you do is driven by something. It's empowered by something. Yeah, it, it, I, I have a lot of motivations. Some are good, some not so good. In fact, some of them I'm, I'm kind of like just ashamed of. I have some broken motivations. I think we all do. I think we have some better and some worse motivations. Uh, I was talking to a guy this past week, and this guy was talking to me about his life right now. This guy's left his family. He's left his wife and kids. He's moved into his own place, and he's, and he's seeing another woman. It's heartbreaking, and so I'm talking, to, what, what are you thinking? What's going on, man? What? And he said, you know what, man? I've got so much shame and guilt about my past, and I've got, honestly, so much. I just feel really a lot of resentment, a lot of bitterness about things that have happened to me in my past, and right now, I'm hoping that I can find happiness in my future, But he's looking for happiness outside of God and outside of God's plan for his life. He's searching for happiness at any cost, and his present is being robbed by his past and his future. By the the word of untruth of the enemy, he would come and try to steal and destroy his life and destroy his family. I talked to a pastor a couple weeks ago who just came off an extended sabbatical, a good friend of mine. 
And I was asking him, man, what, what happened there? You kind of dropped off the face of the earth for six months. What happened? Are you, are you doing okay, man? We, we're all trying to reach out to you. He said, man, I just hit a wall. Spiritually, I was almost suicidal. I couldn't handle it anymore. What in the world led you to that? What got you to that point where you came to a cliff and felt like jumping off? And he said, man, over the last six months, I've had time to look back, and I realized that my whole life was being motivated by people in my past who I didn't want to be like, father figures, people who had hurt me, people who had screwed me over, and I said, I'm never going to be like that. And then he said, I saw some awesome guys, some awesome ministers, some people with big churches, people with success, and I said, that's what I want to be like. So my whole life was not being driven by who God is and what he's done for me and who he's made me uniquely to be, but my life is being driven by everyone else and everything else in my past and future. I can't even be comfortable in my own skin. So we all have these motivations, and it's so important that we take a step back and ask ourselves, what's fueling my life? What's driving me? Because the right motivation will save your life, but the wrong motivation will take you down a path of destruction and brokenness. So let's look at what Paul has to say today in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to find some power for the life that God is calling you to live. Okay, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And Paul says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You see those tenses there? From faith, for faith, by faith, the past, present, and future action of salvation at work in your life. God is at work saving you if you're in Christ. And it's a work of faith. It's not a work of anything that we do to save ourselves, amen? It's a work of faith. And it's faith that starts back here, in your past where God saved you, but then you don't move past that and move on to works, do we? Works don't save us. We move from faith. We move all the way. What's going to keep us till the end of our life? Faith. Faith in the work of God. And right now, what's saving your life, what's actively changing you, is the power of God to salvation that we receive through faith. Okay, and, and we got to ask ourselves a question here. When you see that word salvation, you got to say, save, save from what? I had a conversation about a month ago with a guy, and I was like, yeah, man, coffee house convos, you know, that you haven't, I'm talking to him, and, he, and I said, um, yeah, so man, so are you a believer? And he's like, yeah, man, I've been saved. That's awesome, dude. That's really cool. When, when did that happen? I was 10. Dude, that's amazing. You've been saved since you were 10. What, and then I just felt this kind of like tug in my heart. So I was like, what, what were you saved? You know, when you say saved, what were you saved from? And he's like, huh? What were you saved from? What do you mean? I don't, I don't, I, I'm saved. That's what they said. You know, I said the prayer. The guy said I got saved. How many of you know it's important to know what you've been saved from? You've been saved from something, you're being saved from something, and you will be saved from something. What is that? Well, Paul doesn't stop there. He continues. Verse 18, right? He says, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith, for the wrath of God 
is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So Paul says, God is a little unhappy. God is a little frustrated. No, what what word does he use there? The wrath of, that's a powerful word. The wrath of God is being revealed against men who by their unrighteousness are suppressing the truth. The truth about God's nature, the loving father heart of God who sent his son to serve us and invite us into family and sent his spirit to empower our life in the mission that he has for us. That God is being lied about. His, his glory, his actual nature is being brought into question. And we say, man, you know, and you see this all over. We have conversations with people in our culture. It's like, I like this part of God. This part of God really stands out to me. It makes sense when Jesus says this. But that part over there, that seems, it seems like we've kind of grown past that. That old ethic, it doesn't really apply to us anymore. And what we can do if we're not careful is we say, I like this part of God, but not this part of God. I'll take this piece of truth, but not that. We become pickers and choosers. Which parts taste good? Which parts are palpable? We like to chew on. Mm, that's good, but I'm leaving that part over there. And we end up with, as we've said before, a cardboard cutout God, a designer, sexy God that kind of looks like me, right? He looks like me. And so we end up with a cardboard cutout God who's not God. He has no power to save you because you haven't given him power to be sovereign over your life. And and it, it may seem like a small thing to suppress the truth, but Paul goes on. He says, they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they've worshiped the creation instead of the creator. Now you say, okay, well, that seems like kind of a big deal, but but what's, what's the result of that? I wish we had time to walk all the way through Romans 1, but at the end, it's, it's almost like that, that lie that the enemy would tempt us to believe as the serpent comes into the garden, wiggles his way in, uh, better with the, the right hand, wiggles his way in and says to Adam and Eve, what's he say? He says, has God really said? That little lie, it's like a little snowball at the top of a mountain. But as it rolls, it starts to pick up steam and it starts to build. And pretty soon, it's an avalanche of destruction. And at the end of this passage, we see the destruction and the decay and the brokenness that is humanity now spelled out by Paul as he says this list of things. Just think about this. Evil, covetousness, envious, murderous people, a culture that's proud and deceitful and perverted, faithless, heartless, ruthless, inventors of evil who celebrate one another's sin. I mean, it almost sounds like what we would see in the news every day. And as we look at that avalanche of death and destruction, I think if we're honest, we see a bit of ourselves in there. We see pieces of our lives in the wreckage because we've all been caught in the avalanche. We've all been subject to brokenness, to lies about God that we've believed and to the wrath of God. Paul says it this way in in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. In which you walked once, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So you've been lied to, you believed it, and now you're following him. You're following the father of lies. Right? Among whom we all once lived 
in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of body and mind, and were by nature, there it is again, children of what? Wrath. <laughs> Wrath. It's like you could hear a pin drop. This is, I, okay, let me just pause for, pause. Let me pause for a second and just say, I know this sounds super heavy and broken, but the reason why the good news is such good news is because there's bad news. And if we don't take time to examine the bad news, what we end up with is a false gospel, a false good news where God is just really nice because he just decides to ignore stuff and let go of stuff. No, the reason the gospel is so great is because God is not just nice, he's rich in mercy. He's gracious, he's loving. And that's what it says next. Look at this, verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive in Christ. By grace you've been saved. It's, it's pure grace. Do you see that? Alive in Christ. Do you see the cost that it caused, that, that it cost God to have you? the great cost, the cost of his own son's life to have you for himself. That Jesus Christ came, lived 33 and a half years, never did anything wrong, always did everything right. Perfect. His life was perfect submission, empowered by the Holy Spirit in submission to the Father. He trusted the Father. He always did what was good, right, and perfect. And then he went to the cross in our place. Condemned he stood so that we could have life. That's the good news of the gospel, that divine exchange. In fact, the wrath of God was poured out on him. You remember when he's in the garden and he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You remember that moment? What cup is he talking about? Well, the psalmist talked about the cup of wrath that God had ready to pour out on his enemies. It's the cup of wrath saved up against all sin of all people of all time, every sin that has ever been committed, every rebellious act against the creator of life that ever would be committed, everything you've done, everything you will do. And Jesus Christ took that cup on the cross and he drank it. He drank all of it. He didn't leave one drop for you and I. Amen? That's good news. You have been saved from the penalty of sin. There's no sin upon you anymore. You're forgiven. Like, but do you believe that about yourself? I mean, if that's true, that changes everything. That means I'm free from the past. I'm free from guilt and shame. I'm free from resentment and bitterness. I'm justified. Actually, do this, do this for me since, since we're talking to each other. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not your sin. You're not your sin. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Okay, let me ask you this. How about the people that have sinned against you? How about the people that have sinned against you? People that in your past, you look back that maybe you're still holding on to something. Because I think sometimes it's easy, it's, it's difficult enough, let's put it that way. It's difficult enough to let go of our own brokenness and our own sin and the things we've done against God without feeling shame and guilt and the constant kind of low-grade guilt as we kind of navel gaze and walk through life. We're free from that, but guess what? If somebody else is in Christ, are they free from that too? 
Are you able to forgive them? Are you able to let go? Or do you see them through the window of their sin against you? Are the, do you wear the vengeance glasses? The Avengers glasses? Are you rocking Avengers glasses? Or do you believe that they're in the hands of a just God? A God who in the end will save them and charge their sins to Christ just like yours were. Or he will judge them. But they're in his hands. So you can forgive. So you can let go. So you can live freely and lightly and not walk around through life with shame and guilt from your past and a bunch of bitterness and resentment and anger toward people in your past. But you're free from those negative motivations that would try to empower your life but would drag you off course toward destruction. Do you see what we're saying here? It's so important to understand justification. Just as if I've never sinned, like the old country preacher said. Justification. Let's, Let's just break it down really simple. You don't need anything to justify your life. I know a lot of us, we say, man, if I could just have that. If I could get that raise, if I, you know what? I don't want to be an old maid. I want to get married. If I could just find Mr. Right, Mrs. Right, then, then I'd be happy. Then my life would have meaning, significance, value. It would be worth living. I need some kind of justification for my life. You've already got it in the gospel. The significance that Jesus Christ had is yours in the gospel. He took on your insignificance and gave you all of his He took on your insecurity and gave you his security. Do you guys see this? Your status is no longer a child of wrath, but you're a child of God, child of the king. That's the good news of the gospel. Do you believe that today? And it doesn't just stop there, but the gospel not only empowers our past, but it empowers our present. Okay, another fun Latin word, justification. Another one is sanctification. It comes from the Latin word sanctus. Anybody know what that means? Huh? Holy, yeah, good, clean, pure, right? Totally, your sin is being removed from you. Your sin is, and here's a great scripture about that. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to talk about what it means to be purified. Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, which you received, see that past tense? in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance. So Paul's stressing how important this is. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with with the scripture. So he says, this is what the gospel is. The gospel is about Jesus' life, death, resurrection in your place. You were dead. He came and died for you so you could be made alive in him. Jesus died and rose again. And then he says, I would remind you. And I know maybe some of you guys are like, man, I've heard this before, Vince. I know we're talking about the gospel. I get it. No, we need regular reminders, don't we? I hope the good news never becomes old news to us. We need regular reminders of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And then you see this past, present, future reality, but I love this. He says, and by which you are being saved. That's the present perfect tense. 
So what's saving you right now, what's empowering your salvation is not your good works for God. It's the gospel. It's your belief in the gospel that's empowering your sanctification as you hold fast to the word. It's not your power. It's God's power that's at work saving you. I mean, he says the same thing in Philippians 2. We went through Philippians and did a series recently. Remember, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is, it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do your good pleasure. Who's changing your desires to even want to do good? God. Who's empowering you to live a life of good works, not uh, running from sin, running toward good? God is. It's all by God's power that you're being saved. And so it's, it's, it's really important that we get that because if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll read passages about good works and we'll think that somehow we're being perfected by that. And Paul really fights this in Galatians. You remember in Galatians, he says, hey guys, who's bewitched you? Don't be foolish. Who's bewitched you to think that being saved by faith through Christ, you're now going to be made perfect through the law? And then I love this passage because Paul gets in like this UFC fight with Peter. It's amazing, right? You know how you're like, man, I wish I could like choose two people from history and just see him go at it. That would be amazing. No, nobody says that. I had that conversation earlier this month and somebody said Mother Teresa and Gandhi. And I was like, what? You want to see them fight? That's so wrong. Okay, so, but here we get a glimpse into Paul and Peter going at it. And why? Because you remember the story, Peter was the first guy who brought the Gentiles into the church. Sleep on his roof, has a vision from God. All this unclean food is lowered and God says, kill and eat. And he says, I can't do that. I'm Jewish. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm doing a new thing, right? And pretty soon he goes over to Cornelius' house and the first Jew, uh, Gentile, yeah, Gentile converts are brought into the church. You guys remember this story? So Peter is living this life, watching Gentiles come to faith. And then watch what happens. First uh, Corinthians 15, Paul's, Paul's writing. He says, I'm sorry, Galatians 2. And he says, but when Cephas who's Peter, that's his Jewish name. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For by certain, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the Judaizers and the rest of the Jews and acted hypocritically with him. So not only did not only did Peter act like a hypocrite, but all the other people started doing the same thing. And he says, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, pause for a second here. So Paul says, I'm seeing Peter act like a hypocrite. And what's he do? Does he go up to him and, and pull out the no racist rule? Quit acting like a racist, bro. You're not supposed to do that. You're a Christian now. You know, you're not supposed to be a hypocrite because that's how Paul talked. He talked like a surfer. Dude, why are you being a hypocrite? Is that what he did? No, he says you're not living in line with what? The gospel. He calls him back to, he, dude, if your life is rooted in these beliefs you're proclaiming, what's going on with the fruit over here in your life? Why are you trying to prove yourself to people when you've been approved of by God already? That's what he says. Look at, look at what he keeps saying. 
I love this, man. He says that he's not living in step with the gospel. So I said to Cephas before them all, totally calls him out. If you, a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth, yet we know, here's the gospel, you ready? We know a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith, not works. Paul doesn't call him to a new law, a new legalism, and say, hey, get your butt in gear, man. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and act right. He calls him to the gospel. In fact, if you look at all the epistles, what happens? You see these imperatives in the epistles. Don't steal. Don't live like, the, like, like people who don't know Christ. Start doing these things. Don't commit adultery. You see all the, the imperatives. But you ever notice that the imperatives are normally like right at the end of the book? What have they been doing for the first two-thirds of the epistle? Well, Paul, Peter, they're working through all this theology. This is who God is. This is what he's done for you in Christ. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we know we will be like him. We'll see him as he is. He starts throwing out these identity statements. You're a new creation in Christ. You are sons and daughters. And after he's talked about who God is, what he's done, and who you are now, then he jumps into, so this is what your life should look like. You ever notice that? It never starts with, hey guys, stop doing this and do this. This is the new law. No, he takes us back to the gospel. In fact, here's some examples of the gospel being motivation. Here's the gospel being motivation for your marriage. You ready? He doesn't say, hey guys, be a good husband, be a good wife. What's he say in Ephesians 5? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He points right back to the gospel. When he's talking about generosity, he doesn't say, hey guys, start being generous. Quit being like greedy. Greedy is bad. Generous is good. No, here's what he says. 2 Corinthians 8, for you know the grace of Christ, although he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. Calls him right back to the gospel. With service, you, you say, hey, man, I just, I'm not really supposed to be serving. You know, I'm a preacher. That's what preachers, preachers get up and they preach and other people do the setup and stuff. No, here's what he says, Philippians 2.5. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ, who though he was in the very form of God, emptied himself, humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. So the gospel, belief in the gospel is what changes your life. You're not changed by your good works. You weren't saved by them to begin with. You're not being sanctified by them now. And guess what? In the end, it's going to be when he returns, he's going to glorify you. Amen? Let's look at that last, last piece. We have been saved from sin's penalty. We're being saved from sin's power. And lastly, we will be saved from the presence of sin. One more scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1. I love this. This is such a beautiful picture here. And notice the tenses of salvation here in this, in this passage as well. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again. That's the past. To a living hope. Right now, you have a living hope. What is that hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. There's the future. 
who by God's power are being guarded. Right? That's right now. You're, think about that for a second. You're being guarded by the power of God for the inheritance that's waiting for you. Nothing can take you from his hand. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You don't have to worry about your salvation. He's not a small-minded bookkeeper up in heaven with the Lamb's book of life and a pencil and an eraser. And every time you sin, he erases your name out. And then you repent and he says, okay, I'll put it back in. (laughs) Your salvation is secure by the finished work of Christ. The Bible calls him the author and finisher of your faith. He that began a good work in you, what? Yeah, he's faithful to the end. He will perform it. Your salvation is secure. It's being guarded, as Peter says, being guarded right now through faith for a salvation yet to be revealed in the last time. Well, what does that salvation look like? That's, that's the future salvation. That's glorification. You've been saved. Christ's righteousness has been charged to your account, and his, your sin has been charged to his. You've been saved. You're being saved right now. You're being cleansed every day, and it's not by your work. It's by faith in the gospel, trust in his finished work, and you will be saved ultimately from the presence of sin. You will. Do you, do you believe that? Does that hope burn in your heart? If not, what hope is driving your life? What hope do you have? Do you have a clear picture that you'll be totally free, that you will be like him because you will see him as he is, that one day heaven will come down to earth just as it was in the garden when God came and walked with Adam and Eve. And we will be, it will be like like paradise as if sin had never come to the earth. Perfect. The lion laying down with the lamb. You guys know the pictures of heaven and it's like the poets who are writing scripture are just grabbing at stuff. They're like, oh yeah, you know gold? Gold, that thing you like kill for? That's just going to be like what's on the streets of heaven. It's going to be so amazing. And the lamb will be the light. Do you, do you get what hope is waiting for you? And it's not by your good works. It's by the gospel. It's by Jesus Christ's finished work. You know, next week, next week Super Bowl Sunday? I think it's at three o'clock, which is good because we might actually have people here. And, but I was thinking, I was like, what if it had been, what if it had been at like 11 o'clock? I'm sure there still would be a lot of people here and they would just DVR the Super Bowl, right? And then, so, so as I was thinking about that, no, no, you got to have hope, right? As I was thinking about that, I'm like, well, you know what? If they were DVRing it, then one of the things that's going to happen is they're going to find out who won. And either the team will have won or not. Let's, let's just imagine their team won, right? Then you go back and you watch the Super Bowl. You know your team won. It's on NBC and ABC. Everybody's got the score validated up there. Your team won. But you're watching the Super Bowl, and they fumble. And then they throw an interception. Pretty soon, they're down 40 points. Are you like, oh, man, what's going to happen? Are you freaking out? No, you know your team won, right? So now you're just like, you've got anticipation. You're just excited. Man, I wonder how they're going to pull this out. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. Well, if the gospel is true, we won. And not by anything we did. He won for us, right? So as you're playing the game, you don't have to be afraid. 
you don't have to be motivated by fear or anxiety or anything else of your future. You get to run fast. You get to throw far. You get to go for it. Be creative. Have fun. Enjoy the life that God has placed in your hands because he's at work saving it. He's at work redeeming all things, making all things new, and we're the first fruits of that, the Bible says. So if we believe this, in our past, we wouldn't be fueled by all these negative emotions. Just think for a second. Actually, will you close your eyes with me? We're winding down here. If you believe this, then you can let go of the anger and the resentment and the bitterness of your past, the shame, the guilt, the things that have been controlling your life, robbing you of the present. If you believe this is true, you're free from fear anxiety, despair, the things that control your present right now that make you slave away at the clock for these extra hours and and miss out on the quality relationships and, and the moment that God has called you to be present in. You're free to live. You're free to love as we've been loved. You're free to forgive, not based on how well they told you they were sorry, but based on how well you've been forgiven. You're free to risk. You're free to dream. You're free to live life abundant because of the gospel. I pray that every one of us would have the gospel as the deepest foundational motivation for every other thing that fuels our life. That we would go back and revisit the gospel regularly. And today we're going to come down and take communion. If you're new here, don't, don't feel like you have to take part in this, but we want to invite you in groups of two or three, if you will, today for the conversation's sake to come down and just say, you know what? This is an aspect of the salvation that's mine that I'm really struggling to believe right now. I'm really struggling to let go of my past, to believe that I have been saved. I'm really struggling to believe that Christ is bigger than this addiction, that Christ is bigger than this negative depression or negative emotion that's, that's got me chained right now in my life. I'm really struggling to believe that, that Christ is bigger than the, the, the doom and gloom and the, the forecast that I see in the future where I feel hopeless, I feel despair. I'm afraid that if I don't do this, then my future will be destroyed. No, I can trust in the hands of my father. I can trust my family in the hands of my father. I can trust my future into his hands. So as a group, I want us to come down and confess which aspect, one at a time, of salvation I'm most struggling to believe, the past, the present, future. And then as a group, I want us to practice proclaiming the good news of Jesus to each other's area of struggle. So let one or two people share a really specific area that they're struggling in, and then as a group, remind them of the good news of the gospel for them in the past, present, future reality of what Jesus has accomplished for them. Does that sound good? How many of you guys would like to hear some good news for some situations in your life today? Yeah, the good news isn't just something that gets you into heaven when you die. It's not your, you know, Willy Wonka golden ticket. It is that, and it's a lot more than that. That's just one little sliver of your life, your future. But the gospel's good news for your marriage, for your finances, for your interior life, for your relationships, for your work being glorious to God. Let's start applying the gospel to one another's lives today, okay? I want you to come on down. We're going to play some music, and then at the end, Daryl's going to lead us in a song and dismiss us. Let me pray over you real quick. 
Father, thank you so much for your love for us, that while we were your enemies, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That you didn't just wink at our sin and just ignore it, but you are a just God. But you came yourself to take on the weight of that justice and wrath in my place so that I could be free, that I could have life. And I pray that we wouldn't look at that as a cheap grace today that just lets us get off the hook and live however we want, but that that would be such a beautiful, costly grace that it would call us to surrender our entire lives to you out of love and gratitude for what you've done. I pray that our lives would never be the same. I pray that if anybody here has not ever believed the gospel yet, that today would be the first day they would come down and profess faith in you, that they would be freed from the things that have bound their life, and they would experience that freedom in very tangible ways starting right now. And I pray for those of us that have confessed the gospel before that we would confess it again and experience life and freedom and joy and the fruit of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, we pray. We trust this time to you. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. Amen.